Welcome to the Women's Wellness Psychiatry Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anna Glazer, MD, a reproductive and integrative psychiatrist here to help you make sense of the complex world of women's mental health. If your goal is to improve your emotional well-being, find fulfillment, and feel like your best self, you're in the right place. Welcome, my listener friends. I'm really excited to bring you this episode because I have a special treat for you. I had the wonderful opportunity to interview the authors of an important new book on postpartum depression called Myself Again, The Parents' Postpartum Survival Guide. I see so many patients with postpartum depression in my practice, and when I saw this book, I was impressed with its unique ability to take this complex condition of postpartum depression and provide a very accessible way of addressing it with useful skills and tools. Let me introduce you to the authors. Dr. Ruzgala is a reproductive psychiatrist. She attended medical school at the University of Wisconsin, did residency at Harvard Longwood, and has been practicing as a perinatal psychiatrist since 2008. And Dr. Morin is a psychologist and developer of an award-winning reproductive mental health program. She did her undergraduate studies, graduate studies, and postgraduate fellowship at the University of Iowa, the University of Minnesota, and the University of Pennsylvania, respectively. I had a great time speaking with these amazing clinicians about their motivation to write this book and their work in the field of perinatal and postpartum mental health. For more information, take a look at their website, mompsychdocs.com. I'll be sure to include that in the links at the bottom of this episode. Take a listen. All right, welcome. I'm so glad to have you both on this podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for inviting us. Wonderful, wonderful. So I'm really excited, and I think it would be great if we could start with some introductions. And so maybe we could just start by having you share with our listeners a little bit about your background and your clinical work. And Gabe, why don't we start with you? Sure. My name is Gabe. People call me Gabe. My name's Gabriel, though. But So Gabriel Marin would be my professional name. I am a psychologist, did my training at the University of Minnesota for grad school, and then my uh, pre-doctoral internship sort of residency program was at the University of Pennsylvania. I've been with Michelle at Park Nicollet for a decade now. And when I came to Park Nicollet, I had always worked in like women's health and those sort of things. And when I came to Park Nicollet was when I really sort of zeroed in and focused on reproductive mental health. And so for the last 10 and a half years have been there doing that and was brought on to see patients and to sort of build our reproductive mental health program, where we have within our healthcare system, both a screening and a treatment sort of workflow process for our our pregnant and postpartum. And yes, that's sort of what that's what I do. Wonderful. Maybe I'll ask some follow ups about the program itself. But first, let's course, Michelle would love to have you introduce yourself as well. Sure. Uh, My name is Michelle Wiersgala. I'm a psychiatrist and I specialize in reproductive or in particular perinatal psychiatry. I um, went to the University of Wisconsin for medical school and then did my training out in Boston at uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital and Beth Israel Hospital and then came back to Minneapolis because I have family here and got into women's mental health around 2008, thanks to one of my amazing mentors at the county hospital that I used to work at and have sort of loved it since then. And so I've been doing perinatal mental health as a big bulk of my practice ever since then. I'm now a part of this program that Gabe talks about that she's been the developer of. Um, So that's kind of my story. Wonderful, wonderful. So 
I, I would love to just take one small tangent and, and just learn a little bit more about the program. Sure. And then we can kind of dive into this, the amazing book that you guys published and, and dive into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So back in 2010, our then chair of the department, she has since moved on to, to other jobs, but our chair then gathered the stakeholders of primary care. So it was the chair of OBGYN, pediatrics and family medicine. And she had had this forethought or foresight that this was a gap in our mental health care. And, and frankly, 10 plus years ago, people were not talking about postpartum depression and anxiety and traumatic childbirths the way they do now. So she gathered up these stakeholders. And then in 2011, I came in to sort of build the program. So within our system where we work, um, there are, we are sort of the multidisciplinary healthcare system, right? We have every specialty under the sun, loads of clinics, a big hospital that does about 3,000 births a year. And so what we developed was a sort of screening and treatment program. So the way it is now, after many derivations and improvements and all of that, so we use the Edinburgh Postnatal Depression Scale, and we have a screening protocol timeline that a patient would go through in our system. So if they were pregnant during our system and doing at our system and doing prenatal visits, and then if they keep their baby in our system for pediatric visits, they would get screened basically once a trimester during pregnancy, their six-week postpartum visit, and then at their child's one-week, one-month, two-month, four-month, and six-month well-child visits. So if they do their entire series of care with us, they're getting screened for postpartum depression and anxiety, you know, seven or so times. So those happen out in primary care in OBGYN, pediatrics, family medicine. And then those screeners get sent through our electronic medical record. The scores get sent to a care coordinator within behavioral health who um, reaches out to anybody who scores above our cut score. She reaches out to them via phone and then we'll do a little biopsychosocial assessment about the needs. And that could be mental health, but it could be I need a lactation consultant or I need, I'm just really lonely and I need a mom's group or something like that. So they'll do some of that resource brokering. And then within behavioral health, if they need treatment options, we have our reproductive mental health program or team. And that is made up of um, both psychiatrists and therapists with the specialty in reproductive and training in reproductive perinatal mental health. And um, so we have been in our schedules protected appointments for pregnant and postpartum people so that we can kind of get them into a more direct pipeline than having them have to sort of fight through all the, the phone calls and the wait lists of normal behavioral health and mental health stuff. So we've been up and running doing that. And we call it universal screening since it's across our organization. We've been doing that since 2011. So that's amazing. I mean, it, it sounds like a really thorough program, both from the screening perspective, but then also once you screen someone, you need them to be able to go somewhere for treatment when they screen in. And that's often, you know, one of the the caveats that people bring up with universal screening is, okay, well, they screen and then, and then what happens? So it sounds really thorough and a, a great program for, for many others to potentially piggyback off of. Yeah. When I've, when I've done presentations on like, how did we build this program kind of thing? When I'm talking to other healthcare systems, that is always the sort of what I emphasize is screening is great, right? And there are now states that have mandated you have to screen, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, but without uh, you know, a place to refer to, to qualified clinicians who know this and qualified psychiatrists who know the research for what is safe during pregnancy and lactation, you sort of miss a big chunk of the boat if you don't have that, that, that referral base. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so tell me, share with us a little bit about kind of 
what it was in your clinical work that led you led you guys to put this book together myself again it's really a survival guide it is yes it's meant to be really truly a quick reference kind of handbook with easy the word that has come up a lot actionable things that you can do to sort of maintain mental health or address things that have come up in terms of concerns about mental health so what this grew out of is Part of our organization, the midwives here run centering pregnancy groups, which I know you're familiar with, but if you've got listeners who aren't, essentially they're group prenatal visits where you have a set of about 10 couples who come together and I think it's 10 sessions as well that they do together sort of follow through labor and delivery education, breastfeeding education, various different aspects of pregnancy and postpartum. The postpartum one in particular Gabe and I have been invited to many times to talk about kind of what to expect postpartum in the context of mental health, but also just more generally, like how to manage your sleep deprivation, you know, how to field sort of relationship stressors and what to do when your mother-in-law gets a little too intrusive or that kind of thing. And so we we have done scores of these, I think. And I I hope they're being sincere, but the midwives always tell us that this is everyone's favorite session when we come in and talk about this stuff. And so, you know, after we had done so many of these, Gabe and I one day just kind of looked at each other at the same time and said, you know what, we should put this in book form and we could reach a broader audience with it and really make it useful to so many people who are out there. So that was kind of the development or the birth of the book. And it's really interesting too, because when you, when I saw your information about this podcast, I went and listened to a few episodes and I said, you know what? She is doing exactly in podcast form what we wanted to do in book form. And it's just getting the word out there, right? Like normalizing what's normal helping people understand what may be something that is like a clinical problem that needs to be and figuring out what the next steps are in doing that. And whether that's a lot of self-care, which is where our book really tends to focus or, you know, clinical attention to things, whether through therapy, medications, trying to cover all those bases and just kind of get that information out there and easily available to people. Yeah, yeah we, I, I feel particularly p- proud of ourselves with the title, which I think is a great title anyways, but it was actually the title was was a no brainer what we chose because both Michelle and I had had, you know, dozens and dozens of patients come in for an intake appointment and basically say, I don't know what's wrong, but I just don't feel like myself. And if you've treated and talked to and met with people that are struggling with postpartum depression and anxiety, that's what it is. Like it, it, and all the normal coping skills don't work because I can't go exercise yet because I'm two weeks postpartum or those sort of things. And so that idea of like feeling like yourself again really is the driving motivation behind, you know, all the pages in the book. Yeah. And I I really loved how, in addition to just being so relatable with all of the different kind of case examples, it also was just really an easy read that you can read while while you're breastfeeding or while you're, you know, waiting at the doctor's office for your postpartum appointment or something like that. So that, that was great to, to see. And I'd love for you guys to maybe share with listeners just some of the major take-home points of, of myself again. Yeah, so I think I mean, we should probably highlight this, this acronym or this structure that we've created for it. So, you know, everyone kind of knows these ideas and that sort of thing. But when you've had three hours of sleep for the, you know, every day for the last two weeks, like we know our critical thinking skills aren't as strong, right? So we wanted to make it something that was easy and approachable. So every chapter is 
is set up very similarly. Like we have a, the chapter that's sort of like the, the depression chapter. So it's all the information about postpartum depression and symptoms and all of that. And then we have anxiety and traumatic childbirth, et cetera. And so we created this acronym to help people kind of structure both what activities they can do, but also kind of hitting all the key areas of self-care. So our acronym is PARENTS, of course, which we are, again, very pleased with, which is, you know, like in the title, right? And so the those, those letters stand for, the first P stands for practicing patience. And that's kind of giving yourself grace and not expecting that perfection that, that sort of drives so much of the, the parenting world right now. So we have practice patience. A is for activities for yourself. R is rest and sleep. E is exercise or movement. N is nutrition. T is time with others. And S is support network. And so what we do in the book is for each chapter for depression, we're going to go through and in each of those P-A-R-N-T-S categories, we're going to give people examples of what they can do, practical things. And we'll do the same thing with an anxiety spin and that kind of thing. So it really is meant to to kind of also flip back and forth. If, if the activities for yourself is really a place where you're lacking, well, you could go to every chapter and read the A in every single one. And so that takeaway of, you know, going for a walk is great, but going for a walk alone, that it, that's all, is not going to be enough to feel better, right? So here's these sort of this um, variety of places to, to help yourself feel better and feel like yourself again. Yeah. And you know, the book really covers everything from you know depression to anxiety to trauma. And I love that it also there's even a chapter on fathers, which I think, you know, they tend to sometimes get the short end of the stick and and they're not really talked about at all. And it also really focused a lot on, you know, dispelling some myths and, and misunderstandings. I'm curious if you could share with listeners a little bit about some of the most common myths and misunderstandings that you guys hear. Yeah. I mean, I think there are so many out there, you know, and part of that is how sometimes this gets represented in the mainstream media, right? Where we see news stories about these terrible, scary outcomes and people sort of automatically make this connection between, oh gosh, if I have postpartum depression, it means I'm a danger to my child or something like that, where it's this worst case scenario. And, you know, for for example, in those situations, those things are newsworthy because they're so exceedingly rare, where postpartum depression is really very common um, and and helping people to understand that this is out there. This is something that so many people experience that it's OK to talk about it, I think, helps with that kind of myth, for example. So that's something we see a lot of myths out there about medication treatment of depression and anxiety, that medicines will make you feel like a zombie or you'll be addicted to them or, you know, various other things along those lines. And so we do talk briefly about that stuff as well. Myths about therapy, which maybe I'll let Gabe touch on too, just, you know, that you're going to be in therapy lying on the couch five days a week for 10 years or something like that before you get better. So there's a lot out there. And I think a lot of it stems from just not having easy access to this information. And as Gabe said, you know, a generation ago, no one was really talking about this. And as we've had the book out there and, you know, people in like my mom's generation keep saying to me, oh my gosh, I wish we had this when, when we were having babies because people just didn't talk about this. Like we didn't even know it was a thing. And of course it was back then just as it is now. But I think the important thing and what you're doing with the podcast too is just getting the information out to people in an easy way so that it doesn't feel like something embarrassing or shameful or you're doing it wrong or something like that. And it's actually just something that happens and we address it and we treat it and people can get better. Yeah. 
The other two myths that I would sort of throw in there that are, gosh, we hear all the time, just even in like, again, like the world, right? Is that if you have postpartum depression, you can't bond with your baby or you don't want to bond with your baby, which in most of my patients, that's not the case. They love their baby. They're super bonded to their baby, but they don't feel themselves. And there's not a lot of space for anything else because they're so you know, exhausted and depressed. And the anxiety one that I always think of is that people think of postpartum depression and that's the only condition that could occur. And so they'll say like, well, I'm not sad, so I must be fine. And this anxiety that I'm feeling 24-7, isn't that just what parenting is like? So I always think those are the two that I just hear even my patients come worried about these things being true or that they're already ruining their bond with their child and it's been two weeks or something. So, Absolutely. I would agree that I, I probably heard all of those myths in, in my clinical experience as well. Certainly, I think the, the anxiety is a primary symptom of postpartum depression is, is huge. I think that was part of the reason I chose it as my very first podcast episode. I just wanted to get that information out there. And certainly, you know, to, to your point, Michelle, about the the therapy piece, I, I think I just, you know, read an article earlier this week about the efficacy of one day cognitive behavioral therapy intervention for postpartum depression. It's something that, you know, once there's recognition and awareness that we can get folks into the kind of support and treatment that they need. There is, that's one of the most rewarding aspects for me being a reproductive psychiatrist is how quickly and how much women can get better. Michelle has heard me say this literally probably a million times, but when it comes to like the myths of therapy, my sort of like story is always, most people have never been to therapy, right? So what they know is what they've seen on TV and movies. And I always say that that is not what happens in my office because on the TV or in the movies, I guarantee you that that psychologist or therapist enters the story and within five minutes has, has done something so unethical that you would lose your license in a heartbeat. And it makes for tremendous television. But I always say, I'm like, what actually happens in my office is really boring. And I don't even have a couch, which sometimes people are disappointed. <laughs> I think they want to kick off their shoes and put their feet up a lot. You know, but but yeah, but it's that like, if that's all you know, then that seems very scary. And, you know, that we're going to read your mind and, and all of that. And it's just it's just not how it is. And once people have done a couple sessions, they're like, oh, now I get it. You know, I've also had so many patients come for postpartum depression and we kind of, you know, they maybe are taking um, medication working with Michelle, that sort of thing. And in a couple months, they feel themselves again. And now they're like, well, now that I've done this therapy thing, can we talk about other stuff? Because now they sort of get how it's helpful in general. And so I've had so many patients kind of hang around past, well past the postpartum period for that reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would say that that's a really common phenomenon where I have women who get better and then they might actually get better to the point where they're feeling better than they did pre-pregnancy. And they're surprised yeah. that they could actually feel even better than they did before, that they didn't necessarily recognize that they were maybe struggling with some mild anxiety or, you know, certain kinds of mood challenges or things like that. So that's that's great. Yeah. And so so who is the target reader for this survival guide myself again? Who should get this book? And and actually on a practical level, where do they get it? 
<laughs> yes, good questions. Let me answer the first, the second one first, which is it is available on Amazon. It's also available directly through our publisher, which is Preclaris Press. And it's available locally in the Twin Cities, which is where we are in Minnesota at a bookstore called Majors and Quinn. So if you actually want to go have the book in your hand before you buy it, you can now do that. We're hoping to get it available at Barnes & Noble, but that's a to be determined so far. As far as who the audience is, I mean, certainly primary audience is people who have just had a baby, who are pregnant, who are thinking about having a baby, but it also extends to the people who care about them. So you, as you know, we have a chapter in there about non-birth parents. So dads, same gender partners, adoptive parents, anybody who sort of plays the role of parent in a kiddo's life can, can benefit from this. We also have had so many people tell us that they bought four copies and they've got pregnant friends and they're giving them out to their friends. So that's sort of been an extension of the original audience as well. Yeah. And that's actually, that's a really great point because I think what oftentimes when women first are recognizing that they're pregnant, they're kind of starting the journey. One of the first steps is, okay, let me get as many books or information as possible. Yeah. And so this is a really good one to include in that, in that compilation. Yeah. I, I have said this before that I would, I would be thrilled in my sort of professional satisfaction if there was a point when, um, our book became sort of the automatic that you brought to the baby shower, right? You brought you bought something off the registry and you buy this book and you put it together and you give it to your friend or your cousin or your sister-in-law or whoever it is, right? A, because we're just spreading the information, but then even just talking about mental health becomes so automatic that let's just talk about this. And then, then that person has the book in their hand already before the book baby even comes home. And it just becomes like part of caring for yourself and your child in your pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. You stock up on diapers and then you also stock up on mental health resources. Like yes. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. So any, any other themes or aspects of myself again that you wanted to share with our listeners? I think something that, that we I'm proud that we put in the book are two really practical, like the first one, is a worksheet that kind of helps you organize the parent's acronym. And it kind of is like, sort of like has on like, you know, on this week, I'm going to try these things. And again, like, it's the thing that we all know that if you write something down, it helps clarify it and it helps you keep yourself accountable. So that we have this kind of worksheet where you kind of like, well, I'm going to try some of these things, right? And the other one that, that we're super proud of is Everyone talks about having a birth plan, right? And at some point, your medical doctors give you that. And you think about like, well, what do I want to do for pain management? And who's going to be in the delivery room with me and all of that? But no one talks about what happens after that. So we've created something called a postpartum plan. And what that is recreated in the book is kind of the, the most common areas where change and tension and transition happen. And then a place for, so for example... Michelle mentioned visitors. One of those categories on the postpartum plan is how are we going to navigate visitors? And then there's a place for kind of the birthing person to fill that out, their support person, their spouse to fill that out. And then there's this, this last column to be like, well, now that we've talked about this, how are we going to make this happen? Um, the other one that I always make my patients do is the overnight childcare duties. And I always say, because you don't want to discover that you have a mismatch of expectations with your husband or spouse at two o'clock in the morning when there's been a blowout diaper and the baby's screaming. Like that's not a good time to communicate and negotiate, you know? Um, so it's this, it's really this simple place to kind of get couples 
or pregnant people and their support people talking about like, how are we going to navigate particularly these next like two to three months when the baby's really little? And so I think those are good, good additions for the holism of the book. Perfect. Thank you. Michelle, any any other final thoughts? I, I want to just make a note that, you know, all of the podcast episodes in this in this podcast series, I, I try to keep them kind of on the shorter end. And so that's that's part of the reason, same reason as the way that you guys wrote the book is that kind of like for digestibility. And so, you know, to kind of wrap wrap up our session, I'd love to hear any any final thoughts from Michelle as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I hope that what we've done with this book is make something that's really practically useful to people that really can make a difference that's easy to get at that's quick that's sort of friendly to any kind of parent that's out there so not just traditional you know straight couples or that kind of thing but that everybody gets covered so that everybody can feel comfortable and know that if they have struggles there's answers to it and there are solutions to it and there are ways to work through this and really feel well. And I think one of the things that Gabe and I often said uh, in our centering groups when we go to them is what we have as a goal for these people is to understand that, yes, there are hard parts to having babies and having a newborn, but there's a lot of joy there. And if we can increase the ratio of joy and delight to hard work, then I think people have a successful experience with parenting. Thank you. Thank you both for for joining me today. And sharing your thoughts and, and sharing this wonderful resource that's, again, for all of, all of you listeners, it's myself again, the Parents Postpartum Survival Guide. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode. As you know, my goal is to share with you the most helpful information that moves you towards emotional well-being. If you have suggestions or questions, I'd love to hear those. And I also always appreciate a rating that will help others find this valuable content. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. Please note that while I am a clinical doctor, this podcast is not a substitute for nor should be taken as medical advice. No specific health advice is being given on this podcast and no physician-client relationship is created by you listening to this podcast. All information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only.